That's not hard. Genesis 1. All right. Wow, that's a group today. I want to talk to you today about the, uh, what, I, what I consider is a kingdom key. God made a man. The key to the, one of the keys to the kingdom. And it is found in the scripture. I really want to share with you, and I got a lot here, and I may cut this message short and do the next half next week. Or we may get through it if I don't do a lot other than what I've written down and prepared for today. But we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about the role of men in the kingdom. Specifically, the role of vision when it comes to manhood. The key to God's strategy for ruling this earth, and I want you to listen. Hopefully you brought a notebook. You could never fit all this on a, on a small piece of paper I could stuff the bulletin with. And if not, it'll be on, online. I encourage you to go back and listen to it again and take notes. But if you're here, here's a thought. The key to God's strategy for ruling earth is the man. I know that's not a popular statement today, but you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with the word of God. Because God makes that abundantly clear. The key to God's kingdom rulership of this earth is specifically the man. Because the male is God's foundation for the human family. And I'm hopefully going to spend some more time on what that looks like and unpack that next week. But he is at the bottom. He's at the foundation. And and culture and society, the kingdom of God, is built upon that. And remember what the kingdom is. We are in the kingdom. And God begins with this foundation in his kingdom. Of, of us fellas, and I'm, gonna, I'm speaking to the guys today, and I want to preach to the men today, and I want the ladies, I don't care if you're a married lady, single lady, doesn't matter. Here's why you need to hear this, because one thing fellas need, and we don't like, and that is accountability. We need a single ladies to keep us accountable to what us fellas are about to hear. We need the married ladies to keep us accountable for what we're about to hear. Amen? Fellas, that's where you say amen, not just Willie. <laughs> All right, here we go. At the end of the day, the Bible is about a king, a kingdom, and a royal family. And do you remember God's original purpose? His original purpose was to extend his kingdom to earth. That's what God is all about. He's about extending the kingdom. He wanted to colonize earth with heaven. Right? He wants to colonize earth with heaven. To extend this invisible kingdom to the visible earth. So... Fellows, God created you, mankind, his sons, in his image, to administrate that extension through a program he would call dominion. Everybody say dominion. 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 It was God's goal was to fill the earth with the culture of heaven. And I've taught through this for weeks now on end, so it should be fairly familiar to you. Um, And you remember that whatever happens in the kingdom manifests in the colony. Right, because that's why countries don't don't colonize; only territories do. So, so we we are to be a we are a colony of the kingdom of heaven. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he started off, he started off by saying, "Our Father, where? Yeah, the Father who is in the distant country, the distant kingdom. Hallowed be Thy name. And then what? Thy kingdom. What? Come and Thy what?" will be done where on earth where as it is in heaven let me tell you something jesus never said that we were jesus never prayed for us to go to heaven he prayed that heaven would come to us and the church has reversed god's plan 
The church is all about getting out of here and getting you to heaven. And that is not what the kingdom's about. The kingdom is not about getting you to heaven. It's about getting heaven to you. It's about getting heaven to your home, heaven to your work, heaven to your neighborhood. We have reversed it. Jesus didn't say just huddle down and I'll be back later. No, Jesus said we were to invade until he comes and, and to press the crown rights of King Jesus into every corner of a godless culture, starting with your heart, man, and then your family. Am I talking to you this morning? I want you to listen. I want you to hear. It's vital that we understand this. So we were sent here to fill the earth with the culture of heaven. And Genesis 1 specifically verse 28 explains this it'll come up here on the screen here's what it says then god blessed them and god said to them what be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it now notice this next this next part of it as it comes up and what is he telling them to have have what dominion over the fish of the sea the birds of the air and every living thing that moves where on the earth do you know what that word dominion means in, in the Hebrew, it is the word radah, and it literally means kingdom. He said, you are to have kingdom over the earth. It means to lead or to control or to dominate earth with the culture of heaven. That's what dominion means. By the way, fellas, I just want to say this. You and I, we were as men, we were created to lead. We were made to lead. You know how I know? You don't like to be told what to do. No, your little boys don't like to be told what to do. Why? Because God has, eventually they're going to be men and God's going to make them to lead. Now they need to learn to submit. They learn, need to learn to follow so they become a good leader. But God created us to lead. By the way, God did not create you, though, to dominate other men or dominate other people. And listen, guys, not even to dominate your wife. That's wrong. That is not what the scripture said. What does he say you're dominating? You're dominating the resources of earth, not people. Amen? Amen? We are to dominate the creation, not others created in the image of God. And it's important that we understand that. We were created to lead, and with that we must absolutely do. We were not created to dominate other people, but rather resources of earth. And listen to this. You were, you were created to dominate the area of your gifting. That's your dominion. That becomes your domain. And the discovery of your domain becomes your purpose in life. And we've got to figure out and discover our purpose because that is the source of our leadership. When we understand our purpose, we find the source of our leadership, what it is that God has called us to do. And here's the thing. True leaders don't seek followers. I've known, have you noticed this, fellas? Have you been, everybody, haven't we been around long enough? When someone has a gift and they know their gift and they're exercising it, people are drawn to them. They don't go looking for people. People go looking for them. And, it, and, and it's even born out in the scripture. What did Jesus say? And I, if I be lifted up, what will I do? I will draw all men unto me. When, when, the, when the gift of Christ in you is exalted and you're operating out of your gift, people are going to come find you. You don't have to go look for people. We got it backwards. And, and as a result, we frustrate ourselves and we frustrate the people that we are trying to lead. That's why it's important that we, as a man that we find our gift. Now, vision, 
Vision's important because here it is. Vision is a preview of your purpose. Vision is a preview of your purpose. And I'm going to unpack that here. That's really what I want to talk about today. So what was God's purpose for man? And God's plan was to rule creation through man. And his strategy was to design the human family in such a way so he started with a man. And that word human is interesting. Uh, um, the first part, hue, comes from what we, the word humus, which means dirt. And that last part, man, in Hebrew is ish, which means spirit. So man, man is a, has a dirt suit, but he is a spirit. He is a spirit that lives inside of an earth suit or a dirt suit. And man comes in two models. Man, as the term, comes in both male and what? Female. And it's important to understand it, but they're both called man, or we would say mankind, as we understand it. But as we look at the scriptures, the Bible makes it clear that the male model is the foundation of the human family. The male model is the foundation. May, uh, us fellas, there are 7.5 billion people in the world today, but listen to me, think about this. Only one of them came out of the soil. 7.5 billion people, only one came out of the soil. Not even the woman came out of the soil. God made one model. And he said, you are the foundation for the rest of humanity. Woman came from Adam's side. And she was formed and created not as a foundation, but as an incubator. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Adam released seed. She incubated it. And 7.5 billion people later, Adam is still releasing and people are still growing, and they are, we are literally replenishing the earth. So the bottom or the foundation of humanity is a man. Now, Genesis 1.28, God explains his expansion plan to fill the earth. And it's important that we see that. We understand that. That's God's plan. But here's the deal, what we got to understand. This will come up on the screen. The difference, you ever read Genesis 1 and 2 and been a little confused about what's going on? In Genesis 1, it is a summary. It tells what God did. That's what Genesis 1 is. In Genesis 2, it, it, it's the details of how God did it. So Genesis 1 is just like a, like a quick overall. It's a sum, overview. It's a summary. It's the Reader's Digest version. Genesis 2 is like the commentary that gets down into the details. So Genesis 1 is what he did, and Genesis 2 is how he did it. Does that make sense this morning? Are you with me? So here, let's, let's see what that means. Genesis 2 is important. Look, look at verse, you've got your Bibles open. Look at Genesis 2. I think it's, it'll come up on the screen. Um, verses 4 and 5. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Now remember, this is the commentary. Now we're in the details. In a day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before, there, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown. Now check this out. For God had not caused it to rain on the earth. So we don't have anything growing yet. And there's no rain yet. But more importantly, why? Why is nothing happening? It's because there was no what? There was no man to till the ground. You see, God stopped the creative process until he had someone there to manage it. That's how important we are. Here's the deal. Whenever there is no management, God retards growth. There was no man to till the ground. There was no man to manage what was going on there. So God stopped the process until there was a man 
to take care of it. Wherever there's no management, God retards growth. Matter of fact, what you mismanage, you lose. And I met so many guys saying, you know, I just have no money. That's because you mismanaged the money God gave you. He said, I have no relationship. I have no marriage. That's because you mismanaged the, the relationships God gave you. It's vital that we understand God put us here to manage. So, in this idea of God putting us here to manage his, his creation, we see in verse 7. Go there to verse 7 of chapter 2, and look what the scriptures say. Here's what the Bible says in verse 7 of chapter 2. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now check this out. The Lord God planted a garden eastward where? In Eden. And there he put the man whom he had what? Formed. So he makes this garden. God creates the man, but he obviously he doesn't create him in Eden. He is created somewhere outside of this garden. So the man is created somewhere on the outside, but God makes this, this place called Eden in advance, and he, and he doesn't, this is so interesting to me, he doesn't let Adam find Eden. What does the Bible say? He puts him in Eden. He places the man in Eden. And it's vital. I think there's so much in there, that's not, there's not time to unpack. But, but, God intended the man to live in this garden. This garden was created for him. God didn't let the man find it on his own. It's like he makes Adam, breathes into his nostrils a breath of life, and I guess God just picked him up and set him in the middle of this garden. Because God intended Adam to live in Eden. You with me? Now this is what blew my mind. When I began to study the, the, the word for Eden... In the Hebrew. Now, Hebrew is closer to like, to like Chinese or ancient Egyptian than it is Greek. It's a, it's a caricature. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a picture language. So you take, the, they call them strokes. There are strokes that are made in order to create this word called Eden. And it's interesting when you look at this because Eden is not just a physical garden. It's also an atmosphere or an environment. Here's the word Eden in Hebrew is made up of five strokes. And, and here's what each stroke means individually, and they come together to form this word Eden. By the way, the word Eden, you ever wondered about that? It's called a transliteration. It's, you can't translate it. It would take too long. So they just call it what it sounds like in Hebrew. So if you want to pronounce Eden in Hebrew, it's Eden. It's called a transliteration. We could, it's too complicated, so we just gave it the Hebrew name, and we just turned it into English with E-D-E-N. Am I making sense? Do you know what I'm saying? Here's what those five strokes mean. And remember, God did what with Adam? He what? He put him in there. Here's what they mean. It means spot, moment, presence, open door, a delightful place. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Spot, moment, open door, presence a delightful place and here's how i understand it eden was the spot on earth where god put the man for the moment where the presence of god was an open door and it was a delightful place eden means presence eden means presence and in the in this presence of god where god put the man adam did not have to fast Adam did not have to pray. Adam did not have to sacrifice and go through ritual. Why? Because the, the very presence of God was an open door. 
and it was a delightful place. And here's what I come to understand about that. That God put a direct open door to heaven. And don't miss it. Don't miss it, guys. Fellas, listen to me. God created you to need his presence. Did you hear that? Where does God put Adam? And he doesn't let Adam find it on his own. Because if he did, Adam would take credit for it. Instead, God picks him up and he puts him in Eden and says, here is the spot for the moment. It's an open door to my presence and it is a delightful place. From here on through the end of the ages, when people hear Eden, they think what? Paradise. Right? Why? It wasn't, the, it wasn't all the trees. It wasn't the animals that were tame. It was the presence of God. That's what made it a delightful place. Matter of fact, whenever God creates anything... He makes the environment first. The environment is more important than that which needs it to be sustained. Let me give you an example. I don't think you're following me, but here's an idea. Fish need what? So he makes water first. Plants need soil. So he makes the earth first. Stars need a firmament. So he makes the firmament first. He made every environment necessary to sustain the creation before creating that which would require that environment in order to thrive. Are you with me? Think of it this way. Fish needs water. Plant needs soil. Stars need firmament. And listen to me. You need Eden. You need the presence of God. If you, take the, if you take the fish out of water, it malfunctions and dies. If you take the plant out of the soil, it malfunctions and dies. If you take the stars out of the firmament, it becomes a meteorite, it burns up and dies. If you take the man out of God's presence, he, he malfunctions and he kills people. Have you all watched the news this week? It's because... It's not because of politics. It's because of the fact that man has been living outside the presence of God. He's malfunctioned. You need Eden as much as the fish need the water. And fellas, you don't believe it, and that's the problem. You think you've got life figured out outside of the presence of God. It's called idolatry. It's what led to the original sin. We're still there. We've got to get back. You'll never understand what you need to do as a man until you get into the presence of God. And that's what Eden is all about. And that's why the devil, that's why the devil has no problem with women coming to church. I, I mean that with all my heart. That's how come for the last 150 years our churches have been filled with hats and skirts. You see, because the, devil, the devil's not worried about that. But let me tell you what, the devil knows that if the man ever gets back in God's presence, the family will come back to order. There's nothing that Satan hates more than a man, a worshiping man. That's why, you know why I sit up here in the front and worship? Because when I sit in the back, I watch the rest of you not worshiping and it grieves my heart. And I can't worship God watching you. So I stand up here in the front so that I can't see nothing but that cross right there. And Jesus Christ exalted. And I don't care if you worship with me or not. But I'm going to stand and I'm going to raise my hands. I'm going to shout praises to God. Because Satan hates a worshiping man. Because when Satan sees a man who is worshiping God and getting back to Eden, he knows, I'm losing the man. I'm losing the man. I'm losing the man. So I'm going to worship. And I suggest you do the same. If not for yourself, if not for God, then for that family he's called you to lead. We need a church full of men who know how to worship God again. I tell you what, Satan gets nervous when there's a man who's worshiping. 
So here's a fascinating thing I found as I looked at all this and began to see the desperate, I could preach 10 sermons on that, on just Eden alone. But I noticed something in verse 15. Look at it. Verse 15. I don't know if I put that on the screen or not. Here's what it says um, in chapter 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Now notice what he had to do. To tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what, church? Die. There it is. There are the, are the main purposes specifically for a man. I find that the whole reason for your purpose is wrapped up in verse 15. You say, is it really? Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Number one. You're, 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 you were created, designed to only function in the presence of God. That's number one. And here's the thing. You say, I just want to know what I'm here for. You're here for God. You are here that he might enjoy you in his presence. And I'm going to tell you what, the rest of these that fall after them, you will never see them. You will never touch them. They will never affect you. And listen to me, man. They will never touch your family unless you get in the presence of God. They are off limits. The door to the rest of this list is opened only when we get and live in and stay in the presence of Almighty God. Am I making myself clear? I want to make sure I'm really clear on this. It starts in the presence. And you don't leave that presence of God. You stay in the presence of God. That's where it starts. We need Eden. Here's the second thing he gave Adam, though. And it's in the latter part. It's the second half of this verse. He gave him work. So you get in the presence of God, and, and he's in the presence of God. He's oh, God, this is great. This is wonderful. God says, isn't it? And I've got a gift for you. And it's called what? Work. You did not say that like you believe it. You didn't say that like you believe it. But here's the thing. God, oh, this, God gave the man work before the fall. Now, wait a minute. That has ramifications. You know what that means? It means work is not a curse. It's a blessing. And we were, God made the man, the male, specifically, he gave him the job. He gave him work, and it wasn't a curse. By the way, there's a, there's a practical application here. Dad's out there. I do it all the time, and I'm constantly convicted. Thank God I have a godly wife to help me. Don't use work as a punishment because it's not a result. of. Don't punish your kids with work. Work should be a joy. Amen. It should be something through which men are formed and pride is given as that child gives back to the family, but don't use it as a punishment and make them hate work. It is a gift of God. Now, the rest of the purposes of man are laid out in here, but I think they all fall underneath the, the one gift God gives, which is work. And I want to say this. You ready for this, guys? God gave the man his work before he gave him his woman. Mm-hmm. It's quiet in here. Right? God gave him his work before he gives him the woman. So first, you need the presence of God. But then God gives the man work. He gives him something to do. And here's the next one is, what do you tell him to do? Cultivate. Cultivate that ground. What's that mean? That means tend it, care for it. Then he says this, guard. That's to protect. You need to protect this environment that I've placed you in. You need to protect your ability and what I've created and put underneath you in, in the presence of God. Then he said this, this fifth one, keep my commands. 
Do what I say. And here's the one command. You can do it's, everything's, everything is within your power except for one, only one rule. Stay away from that tree. That's, that was the only rule. That's it, one rule. And, and that was his, his job was to keep his commands. And that's your job, to keep the commandments of God. And then the, the last one, number six, is be responsible. And the day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Know that you break the rules, you better man up and be responsible because, because God, God doesn't lower the standards for you. Instead, he brings us to the standard. Now, I want you to hear this. And ladies, hang with me. Every instruction given to Adam at this point, where was Eve? She wasn't even made yet. She's not there. All of this purpose and information, who was it given to? The man. And it was the man's job to relate it to who? The woman. And we've got it backwards in our homes today. The women by far, and God bless you ladies, don't change. But by far, the women are far more spiritual. I talked to so many guys, well, I can't lead my family spiritually because my wife is further ahead. Get busy, man. You've got to do some studying. You need to humble out. He didn't call her to lead your family spiritually. He called you. He gave the word to you. You are to give it to your family. That makes sense? I mean, it's right there. I'm not making this stuff up. Every instruction here was never given to Eve. She wasn't even here yet. Bottom line, here it is. What the male does affects the entire human race. You know, that's why the devil's after the male. Pornography is not a problem in the church. It's the problem in the church. Satan is after you guys. He is after you. He is trying to corrupt you. And if he can't corrupt you, he's trying to confuse you. Men are even today confused about their own sexuality, their own gender identity. Satan wants to corrupt this. Why? Because the day you eat of it, it'll wipe out your family. And he knows it. He, he just wants to keep you from getting back to Eden. And that's right where you need to be. So what do we do about all this? What, is this, what, what meaning does this have for us today? Well, let's, let's rehearse this for a minute. The man was created what? First. He came first. Now, now guys, that doesn't mean you're better. doesn't mean we're better. What that means is we're responsible for everything that comes behind us. So if he made us first, he said, well, I'm the head, yeah? Headship means it's your head, fellas, between you and God. If, you can't, if you're the first, and we are, if we're the foundation, and, and we are responsible for everything, and listen, everyone that comes behind us, and don't you know, one day we're going to give an account before the God who gave us that dominion, that kingdom, in that area of our family. God made the male the teacher. The teacher. He was to communicate all of these important truths to his family. He was the one that's supposed to take the lead in that. So, he makes him first. Then God gave the man image. How many of you know we have an image crisis today? That's why the world is such a mess, because men don't know who they are. A man has to know who he is. And that's the biggest problem we have today in our, in our country and in our culture. So, so God said, I'm going to give you my, I'm going to make you in my image. You have no problem knowing who you are. You are, you are my son. I have made you. You are my creation. I've taken a piece of me, and I've made you. I breathe in your, into your nostrils, literally the breath of life, and that's where that God-given potential comes from. Man, Adam knew who he was. 
Number three, the first place was Eden, the presence of God. The first command was to get to work. The second command was to cultivate or care or to tend that garden. The third command was to protect or God guard what God had given the man dominion over. The fourth command was to obey God's word. And all of this, it's to you, it's to me, fellas. We are, it is our foundational responsibility. Now let me unpack this for a minute and tell you what it looks like. Because work is not what you think it is. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you cannot wait for tomorrow to get here so you can go back to work? Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, it's not what you think. And I want to say this carefully, but firmly. God's presence is first, and then work is revealed only after we get in God's presence. What is your work? We stay with Elizabeth and I stay with a family, uh, and they lived on this beautiful farm. But the guy worked somewhere during the day, and then he came home and worked as a farmer at night and on the weekends. And so you, what was my first question after we, introduced, we were introduced to each other? His name was Tony, which I thought was odd, and her oldest son was Paul. My dad's Tony. I'm Paul. So I said, well, I felt like I'm home. <laughs> but what's the first question I asked him after we were introduced to each other? What do you do? Don't we do? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because a man's identity is wrapped up in his work. And that's, and that's God-given. That is God-given. The key to manhood is work. Now, I looked up this word, manhood, uh, work, and it's not what I thought. It's, it's the Hebrew word ergon, and it, here's what it means. This is weird, but it literally means to become. It means to become, to manifest, to fulfill, to reveal, or here it is, to become who you are. Isn't that interesting? To become yourself. And you've been taught that work is something you do, and that's why they fired you. Work is not something you do, it's something you are becoming. Your job is what they pay you to do. Your work is what you were born to do. Do you see a difference in here? Follow me, hang with me. Your work is not your job necessarily. They can fire you from your job, but they can never fire you from your work. Your job you can retire from, not from your work, because your work is your gift. It's what God put in you to produce until he comes. For, let's go back to the apple seed from a few weeks ago. If I looked at that apple seed and I said to that apple seed, work, what, the, what do I mean? I mean, grow, produce a tree that will produce fruit, that will produce seeds. When I say to that seed, work, I mean become what God put in you to become. And that's what the word work means. The work that God gave Adam to do was to become what God put in Adam to become. What does that mean for you and I? I will say to you, it has everything to do with you and I. If God looked at Adam and literally said, Adam, become, what does he say to you? What does he say to you, man, as you're sitting there leading that family today or thinking about beginning a family? He looks at you and he says, become what I put in. Act on the potential that I sovereignly put inside of you, traced all the way back to your first father, Adam. That's our work. Our work is to become ourself. God is hidden in every male an awesome man. And your work is what you are carrying out that you were born to do in your generation. You know why you're frustrated? You're frustrated because you go to a job and in your heart you know it's temporary. You know they can fire you from your job. 
And you have no idea what your work is, so men are frustrated. And as a result, we flee from the presence of God, we malfunction, and our world is what it is today because of it. The average man has never discovered himself. And that's why women are confused and frustrated. That's why the women we lead are frustrated and why they're confused. We have no idea who we are or what we're supposed to be doing. And the women in our lives know it. You see, because they were created for something too. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. And they can't do what they were created to do until we do what we were created to do. And I want you to ponder what that means maybe in our own individual lives. For example, when a bird is flying, what's it doing? It's working. It's becoming. When a fish is swimming, it's working. It's doing what a fish was made to do. When LeBron James plays basketball, he's working. You can never fire LeBron James. He was made to shoot baskets. What is your work? What did God put you on this planet to produce and to become? What were you born to do? That's your work. And how many men do I know? I, how many men I have stood over the graves of every week? Lived and they died. They worked and they retired, but they had no idea what they were put on this planet for. And they never even began to unpack the potential that God put inside of them. That cannot be us men. We've got to, we've got to take a different, a different uh, road. We've got to come somewhere and find our vision, find our purpose. Because your work, what God made you to do and to become, that's the source of your vision. Do you have a vision for your life? Do you? Do you know where you want to go and what, what you're supposed to do? Do you know why God put you on this planet? It wasn't just to suck up oxygen and take up space for 70 or 80 years and then die. What are you here for? And we must know that because it's the foundation of our leadership. And God had a purpose long before you were conceived. Vision is purpose in pictures. That's what a vision is. Vision is purpose in pictures. That's why it's so important for us guys. Proverbs 19 it says this, where there is no vision, what? The people perish. The family perishes. The family disintegrates. Solomon also said, many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's what? Purpose will prevail. That means that purpose is more important than your plans. God's purpose for your life is more important than your job. God's purpose is more powerful than plans. And it precedes plans. As I understand, and I won't spend a long time on this, but you weren't made for purpose. You were made because of purpose. So what do you mean, Paul? I mean that God had something he had already done, and, and he gave you birth so you could start it. And I know that's, a, that's hurting some, some of your heads here this morning. But I want you to think about what that means. God had already completed something because he is above time, but he needed you to begin it. And so he gave you birth. He put you on this earth to, to do something, to begin something that in his mind is already completed. And my question is to you, what are you doing about that? What are you doing? Are you busy with becoming what God put you on this planet to become? We don't need any more men taking up space. We need men who are pushing the kingdom and the crown rights of Jesus into every corner of this culture. That's what we need. And God gave you a gift in order to do exactly that in that particular area of your gifting, which is the reason you're on this planet. 
And that's how come with guys, our first priority is our work. As a male, we're defined by our work. We can't help it. That's why when we lose our job, we lose our mind. The problem is we confuse our job with our work. And that's not necessarily what God put. Matter of fact, your job is prepares you for your work. I'll tell you what, I would have no idea what I'm supposed to do if I hadn't worked some jobs. My jobs prepared me for my work. They revealed my work. Getting in God's presence and getting out on that job made me realize this is not what God called me to do. This is not what I put on this planet for. And I, I'm ashamed to admit to you, I'm 50 years old, and it's only now coming a little bit clearer what it is that God wants me to do here. In the very specifics so I can fine-tune and laser focus in the 20 years or so that I got left. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know my work. And I want you guys to know it too. Because it's that vital. It's that important that we understand that. So you're supposed to find your work before you find your woman. You see, because the woman was made for a very specific reason. And the reason that she's frustrated, women are frustrated is because they're living with men who, who, who have no idea what their work is. They have no idea what their purpose is. Matter of fact, ladies, when you go, when a guy asks you to marry him, you know what your first question should be? What are we going to do? Where are you going? Can you show me your vision on paper? What's your plan? What is it that God's called you to become? And if you don't, you'll frustrate that poor gal. And the man gets his worth from his work. Listen, not from the woman that God gives him. That's how come men can be so cruel to such beautiful women because they take their frustration not understanding who they are and why they're here they take it out on the gift that God help, gave them to help them become what's her job what, why did God form her she, he formed her to help you what's she called a help what me in other words perfectly fit for you because here's the deal when a man finds his niche when you know what you're here for, it fixes so many things. It clears up your schedule. It focuses, it, it causes it to be easy to say yes to the things that matter and no to the things that don't. A man who knows his purpose doesn't come home and, and sit in a recliner chair and watch TV for five hours because his vision, his purpose precludes him from doing that. He has, the desire's gone. A man who knows his vision, knows his reason for being, he doesn't need the approval of his friends because he knows who he is. Look at Jesus. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I came to do the work of my father. I worked the works the father sent me to work. I must be about my father's work. I have fulfilled the work you sent me to do. Work, 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 work. Jesus was all about becoming what the father put him on the planet to become. What about us? What about us? Do we get it at that core level? Is that where we are? I'm going to actually uh, wrap it up here, and I'm going to share some of the rest of this with you next week. So let's go to that last slide. And here's the thing. I want to ask you this question. Guys, young men, what's your work? What are you becoming? What is your vision? If, if I asked you right now that you could not leave and go to your Father's Day lunch until you wrote the answers to that out, 
on a piece of paper, how many of you would be joining me on another 40-day fast? Seriously. Why are you here? And if you don't know it, I'm going to tell you, you're frustrated in your family, and you're frustrated in and of yourself. By the way, we got some young men, and, and God's given me some, some young men. That's because I don't think I did a good job on the first ones. They've landed because Paul was gifted intellectually. Zach was gifted creatively, and somehow they landed on their feet. But I'm telling you, I was talking to the Lord about this the other day. My friend Hayward, some of you remember Hayward, he sent me an announcement of his son's graduation, his, his last youngest. We're, Hayward and I are the same age. Andrew's graduation, last kid. And I texted him back. I said, your, son, your youngest is graduating and mine isn't even potty trained yet. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to lie to you. I was having a pity party a little bit, a little pity party going down the road. You know, and it's like I said, Lord, you know, I, I love every one of these, these four last ones that you gave me. But Hayward's done. And Jack's not even potty trained. He didn't he even like clothing. I got a nudist in the house. What in the world? And it's like I heard the Lord say, son, I'm giving you a do-over. Have you seen those first four? <laughs> Have you looked at what you've done to them? Now, by my grace, they're going to make it, but I'm giving you four more to give you a chance to do it all over again. And you know what, Sirza, I, I, I really do feel I, I sensed that that was the message I got. And I got to thinking about my kids. And I'm thinking about Sam. Sam's in his 12th year. And in our, our house, that's a big year. Because this is his last year as a boy. Our, our phrase between each other this year is, Sam, that, that boy in you must die. Because there's a man in you that needs to live. This is his last year. He's saying goodbye to boyhood. And he's coming into my world. Some days kicking and screaming. But he's coming. And I'm looking at him and I'm studying him. I'm becoming a student of who this young man is. Because why? I don't want him waiting till 50 to figure out what he's on his planet for. And God put that boy, almost a man, in my life so that I could teach him something. It took me 50 years to learn. Hopefully he'll learn it before he's 15. Hey, I'm not going to be on this planet much longer. But I'm going to tell you something. As long as I'm here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise the rest of these kids, and they're going to know who they are. They're going to know whose they are, and they're going to know why God put them here. And they're going to be busy about one thing, and that is work. They're going to become who God put the potential in them to become. And then when they go to their grave, they will die empty, not old. And the grave will get nothing. Because every bit of the potential that the Creator coded into that young man's DNA, into his soul, will be Born out for the glory of our king. And if we do our jobs right, men, when they are old men and go to their grave with no hair or gray hair, this culture is going to look just like heaven if we do our job. If we not, if we don't, it's already on the way to hell and it'll look, it'll be a disaster. Matter of fact, I firmly believe this, and then I'm done. If we don't do our job and don't raise these young men up to stand up and to be the men and to know who they are and to unpack the potential of God, which means we got to do that for ourselves first. If we don't do that, I think they'll be right behind us because the world won't have them. It's that important. Do you know who you are and where you're going?
Why are you here? What's your vision? What's your work? Fellow, what are you becoming? In the last days, the prophet said, the old men will dream dreams. The young men will have visions. Then it says, and the handmaidens will prophesy. The handmaidens and the children, the boys, the little ones, they'll prophesy. You know why I'm, I'm in that first category now? I'm an old man, especially in biblical culture. You know why for me it's a dream? Because I'll never be alive to see it happen. But I can see it. I trust my vision more than my sight. I can see it. I know where these guys can end up. And I know the impact they can have on this culture. But for them, for Sam, for Paul, it's a vision. Because not only can they see it, they're young enough that they, they're gonna be, they can live to see it come to pass. You with me? And then the children, the handmaidens, the women, and the boys, they're prophesying. And here's how that works, and then I promise you, I'm, I'm praying, praying for every one of you guys. It, I've seen this borne out in my home just this week. It's discouraging sometimes when we're trying to become. It's frustrating. And there's been more than one time I've sat on the front porch on the swing, 1268 Awanasa Trail, and I have vocalized to my wife, and I'm ashamed to say even to some of my children, I don't know why I'm doing this. There's got to be a better way to make a living. And you know what I hear back? I've heard this from my children. I've heard it from my wife. You told me that God called you here to grow some people for the glory of God. Back 17 years ago, that's what you told me when we left what, we, what was comfortable and what we knew to come to something very different. You told me that God was sending us here as a family and confirm that to your heart, that we were here to be the servants of God to these people in good days and bad. And you know what, fellows? If we're not careful, we'll call that nagging. That's not nagging. God calls it prophecy. She's reminding me of what I told her. I gave her my vision. She took it in. She incubated it. She gave it life, and she gave it back to me. And your children will do the same thing. What are you here for? Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask that you will do a work in the lives of your men today. That we would come to understand who we are. Why we're here. And we would embrace the work that you have given us to do. And Lord, I'm fully convinced of one thing. Nobody in this room, no man, no woman, no person has any hope of finding out what that is outside of your presence. You made Eden first. The most vital thing that we must have before we find anything else about why we're here is we must be in your presence. And I pray that we will be. I pray that as your sons 
specifically for the men today, that you will drive us back to Eden. I pray that we will worship you big, not just waiting for Sunday. We'll worship you on Monday. We'll worship you so well that we'll worship you in our homes. We'll lead our children and our wives to do the same thing. We will worship you, get back in your presence, and from there we will discover our work, that which you coded inside of us to produce and to become. And then we will follow that work down and give care to those that you gave to us. And then we will protect what you gave to us. We will obey your commands and we will be responsible men. And I pray the spirit of your vision on every man in this room today, regardless of where they are, I pray that you pull them to your presence and that you would grant them eyes to see not what is, but what will be as you have called them to become exactly that thing. May you give the men in this room and the young men vision for what you've called them to be. And may you get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.